Hi, this is Steve Addison, and you're listening to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Well, today is the final in our series of studies with Nathan Shank on defining the core missionary task. Our final lesson concerns leadership development. Today we have a chance once again to progress, to move forward in this matter of the missionary task. Having considered discipleship and church formation in the previous sessions, today we get started in thinking about what does it take to develop leaders. You realize that there, as we've been studying the the first church in the book of Acts, the the case study across the New Testament related to church planting, and the missionary task of those who had accepted and taken on the Great Commission, wherever churches were formed, we began to see elders and overseers emerge from the harvest. Do you realize that this is true from the very first church, from the church in Jerusalem? In Acts chapter 11, when Saul and Barnabas bring the famine relief offering from Antioch to Jerusalem, they bring it and they give it in Acts 11 to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. That there in Acts chapter 15, as the Jerusalem council gathers to consider and clarify the gospel, the one true gospel that can save, there it's the apostles and the elders who gather together with the whole congregation. For that matter, in Acts chapter 21, as Paul returns after his third missionary journey, there in Jerusalem, he greets James and the elders of the church there. In each case, then, we see that from the very first church in Jerusalem, elders were emerging and being recognized even from among the flock. Today, as we consider this matter of leadership development, we want to wrestle with this issue. In our ministries, in our church planning efforts, are we committed to see a shepherd for every flock? As it was in the first church in Jerusalem, elders emerging from the harvest, so it was in the ministry of Paul. Do you realize that in his first, what we call the first missionary journey of Paul, there setting out from Antioch in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas now referred to as Paul in chapter 14, verse 23, returned to all the places where they had been persecuted previously to see that elders might be appointed in every church. It seems to be almost a work unfinished for Paul, even risking his own life to go back to places uh, like Lystra where he'd presumably been stoned to death in order to see that this work of appointing elders might be accomplished. That's the same type of tone that Paul takes with Titus in Titus chapter 1. Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was to finish the work left undone and appoint elders in every town. For Paul commissioning Titus, it seems to be a work unfinished until this matter of recognized elders, local shepherds, are acknowledged in every town, in every church. So there from the first church, or there consistently in the ministry of Paul, whether it was the Philippian church, there in the letter to Philippi in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, complete with elders and deacons, Or for that matter, in his emissaries, in his co-workers, Timothy and Titus, 
the matter of appointing to recognizing, and for that matter, qualified elders in all these churches seems to be of great importance to the Apostle Paul. If it was to him, surely it is today for us as well. So today as we gather with your disciples, as you gather together to consider a participative study, a self-discovery study, our topic is this, what are the biblical qualifications for those leaders? Uh, to do the self-discovery as you gather, we're going to need to consider 1 Timothy chapter 3, here listed for us, and for that matter, Titus chapter 1. These two passages classically recognized as the qualifications for elder overseers. As you gather with your disciples, I ask you the simple question, would you consider each qualification listed to be a matter of character, a matter of skill, or a matter of education? This is a little different than our other studies. I'm going to ask you to make a chart with your disciples, with these three columns, even as you'll see it posted here on the screen. And as you read through these two passages, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, as you consider each qualification, perhaps you would list it under one of these three categories. Are they matters of character, matters of skill, or for that matter, matters of formal education? Take a few minutes with your disciples and see if you can put the qualities in one of these categories. Even as we were together previously talking about church formation, we see that the body of Christ must have been involved as each of, these character, each of these qualifications seems to be matters of reputation. That surely Timothy and Titus would have had to involve local believers in order to confirm that each candidate for the office of elder overseer was in fact above reproach, was managing his household well. As you took time with your disciples, were you able to put these qualifications into one of these categories? If you're like me, uh, perhaps the column on listed entitled character uh, was filled. Whether it was uh, not a lover of money or above reproach or for that matter a husband of one wife. Each of these, in each case, we see that the character seems to be at the top of the list of immense importance as we consider the qualifications for church leadership. Surely you did, perhaps you did identify one or two of these qualifications you might have put in the column of skill. At times, when we do the study with disciples, maybe managing the household or even the matter of able to teach, perhaps you fill that in under education, perhaps that you consider that a skill or gifting. Either way, for them to be able to be sustained in teaching, surely their character would have to match what they're preaching, what they're teaching. Whatever the case, I wonder how it is this list of 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, how this exercise might compare with some of our traditions, some of our own expectations or assumptions related to church leadership. Do we use 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 to qualify leaders in our ministry, in our church planning efforts? Are these the qualifications we're looking for as new leaders, elder overseers emerge from the harvest 
wherever we're involved in church planning? At times, I've been guilty of of adding to the list. Maybe some of my own preferences. Maybe some of my own assumptions in the ministry patterns I grew up with or had modeled for me. Even before going as a cross-cultural worker. It might be that I would add to the list other qualifications that might limit or otherwise hinder the emergence of such leaders from the harvest itself. However you filled out this chart, across the New Testament, even from the first church, let's remember that these elder overseers, these leaders emerged from the harvest itself. There is no letter, there is no appeal in the examples of Paul or the book of Acts to another adjacent field to send or deploy elders to a newly, newly formed church. Rather, unanimously, they emerge, as I've said, from the harvest. Are you digging into character? Are the discipleship and lessons, even church formation, body life that you're pursuing in your church planning ministry, does it have an aspect of character development? Does it involve an examination, whether through the Lord's Supper or church discipline, to deal with character that falls short of the standard? In all these ways, then, our church formation, our disciple-making, are lending themselves to leadership development throughout the missionary task. Surely, wherever you acknowledge, wherever you're involved in church planning, like Paul, like the Jerusalem church, we can anticipate God gifting and choosing and, and growing leaders, even from within the body. Are we willing to recognize them? For that matter, are we willing to allow Scripture to determine the qualifications? Well, it is our privilege today to look once again at this matter of leadership development. Today, as we consider the self-discovery series, we're going to consider yet another role that might emerge from the harvest in our church planting ministry. Just as previously, we considered the matter of shepherds, elder overseers that emerge from the harvest, that are there not only in the Jerusalem church, but also across the ministry of Paul. Consistently, a shepherd for every flock seemed to have been a goal and an outcome of the natural progression of church planting in the New Testament. So it is with the emergence across the New Testament of sent one. It's the subject of our study today. Now in the New Testament, even in the beginning of the book of Acts, and as early as chapter 1, even while the 120 are waiting in the upper room for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled when Peter stands up among the brothers and says that it is right that as Judas has gone where he'd been assigned, just as it was prophesied, another should take his place. And in the casting of lots, the prayer there of dedication, Matthias is chosen to replace Judas. In what Luke refers to consistently, both in his gospel and the book of Acts, the twelve apostles were qualified in Acts chapter 1 by an eyewitness of the resurrection and by having been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. Acts 1 even mentions from the beginning Uh, of John's baptism and had been witness with the twelve of all that Jesus had taught and accomplished. We understand then that this office of apostles, these twelve designated by Luke, uh, is a closed group. 
as surely as the eyewitness of the resurrection was bound to that first generation, there the first century, those who had walked the roads of Galilee with Jesus are a closed group of 12 apostles. And yet, as we read the New Testament, as we go on in the book of Acts and also in the letters and epistles of Paul, we see the reoccurrence of the word apostle used several times. Now, this word apostle, literally apostolos in Greek, it means simply a sent one. Just like the twelve rightly called apostles, they had been sent out by the Lord even during the Galilean ministry, designated as early as Mark chapter 3 to be apostles, sent ones of the Savior. Across the book of Acts, we see that beyond the twelve, others are beginning to receive and make use of the same title. Not that they opened the closed community, not that they joined the twelve, but that this function of being sent was the clearest and best descriptor of the work to which they were called. As you gather your disciples together today, I want you to consider these passages that each use the word apostle. And the key question, the question I want you to examine, as you gather, to whom is the word apostle applied in each of these passages? Take a few minutes with your disciples, and we'll reconvene after you're finished. Perhaps this word study on the use of apostle is new to us. Uh, Perhaps it's surprising to see that word applied to people beyond the twelve as designated by Luke, even in Acts chapter 1. We need to recognize this idea of the sent one task, extending beyond even the first generation of disciples, qualified in Acts chapter 1 by eyewitness of the resurrection, having been with Jesus' ministry since the baptism of John. Uh, This surely could not be applied to a man like Silas or Barnabas. Though early in the church of Jerusalem, how could we suggest that a Barnabas or Silas had been there since the baptism of John? And yet, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in Acts chapter 14, both Barnabas and Silas referred to as sent one. Uh, There's no way that Timothy or Apollos were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. How then could this task, this term, apostle, be applied to them? Presumably, beyond the twelve, even beyond the first generation of disciples and believers there in the city of Jerusalem, this, uh, this word apostle, this is tied to a function, just like the word shepherd would be tied to a function, a guidance, an oversight over a specific flock of sheep. It's the function itself that defines the term for us, what it means to shepherd a flock. So it is with the sent one. Presumably, these names that we've discovered here in the text attach to a function, that they are to be sent. As surely as the shepherd needs to shep, guide, and direct the flock, Sent ones need to go, need to be proceed and itinerate, consistent with the examples across the New Testament. In the third century after Christ, it was Jerome who translated the New Testament for the first time into a language beyond Greek. Jerome's chosen language was Latin. 
When he chose to translate this word apostle, he used the Latin term mito. Apostolos, the sent one, was translated in Latin mito. The Latin word mito is where we take the English word missionary. One who is sent on mission. So it is across the New Testament. This same idea, this same function of being sent to join the mission of Paul, to carry on the mission even in fields that are pioneer, to itinerate for the sake of fulfilling the Great Commission seems beyond the twelve to be a role assigned even to other names. Timothy, Titus, Silas, Barnabas, Andronicus and Unia in Romans 16 depends upon your reading of a passive verb. Apollos, James, the the brother of Christ in the book of Galatians, referred to also as an apostle. However we've understood this, we believe and trust that as surely as elder overseers are to emerge from every flock, so also Timothy's, so also Apollos might emerge to be sent In each generation of church planting, there would be those who receive the calling to go, that the church might be ready to acknowledge that ongoing function. As surely as there's a need for shepherds, until the second coming, until the gospel has reached the ends of the earth, all the nations of the earth, as long as the commission continues and persists, the need for sent ones that emerge from the flock will always be an ever-present need in our church planning ministries. How do you recognize both shepherds and sent ones? Do you have a plan to acknowledge? How are you organizing the sending of workers even where the Macedonian call might urge them, propel them into the next field? As you consider this task with your disciples, we trust and we know, and we pray today that God will bless you. Big thanks to Nathan Shank for making this series freely available. I hope uh, you've benefited even more. I hope uh, there are teams out there that have been working through the lessons and implementing as they go. This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.